0: speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me say again how, how overjoyed I am to see St. John's Broad Creek so alive and so blessed in its life. How grateful I am to your good rector, Sarah Oderstall, and the leadership of this congregation. So many blessings to those who are confirming and reaffirming your faith today commitment to follow Jesus in his way, and for those being received as full members of the church. I am so happy, um, so happy to be here. And it has been, as Reverend Sarah has shared with me, a very good year at St. John's in many ways, and it has been a challenging one. And the goodness is evidenced by the Spirit in this place, Uh, the joyful love that you share, the depth of your commitment to grow in faith and in love, the increased engagement in study of scripture, worship and service, presence of children. And one of the challenges has been rain. (laughs) And the flooding of your property. And the continued flooding actually raises hard issues for your leadership and places considerable stress on your rector and her family. So please know that I am here today to celebrate the goodness and vitality of St. John's as a community of faith and to do whatever I can to support your leaders with the challenges they face and to ask the question, which I always ask, What can can we do to align the structures intended to support the ministry of a community so that they are not a hindrance to it? For I am persuaded that the one who has begun such a good work in you, in each one of you, and as a congregation will see it through to completion, and that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us, can accomplish far more than we can ask for or imagine. God's spirit at work in us is not the same thing as our working for God. Now, sometimes I get confused about that, and I imagine that I'm the one whose responsibility it is to do good things for God and to convince and encourage other people like you to do good things for God or for the church or for your families or for the world. And that's certainly better than not doing good, right? It's it's better than doing harm. But friends, the transformational power we are privileged to be a part of in this life happens when we focus actually less on ourselves and more on Jesus, when we open ourselves to the love of God made known to us in Jesus and then do our best to align ourselves with that love. Now that aligning may require hard work on our part, but it is fundamentally a different experience with a different energy than when we work from our strength alone, for God's sake. A mentor wrote me this week one of those encouraging letters that came at just the right moment with a word that I needed to hear. And that word was, get out of the way and let God do the heavy lifting. Now in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're familiar with 12-step spirituality, there's a similar slogan, right? It's let go and let God. Now that doesn't mean that we can simply go passive in our lives and not do anything. That's not it at all. But rather that we learn somehow to wait and to trust and to be still before taking action so that we can allow God's power to work in and through us. Now, we can't know for certain how this divine human alignment works. We aren't in control of it. And we certainly don't get it right from our side all the time. I know that I don't. But still, I want want to remind you, this is the fundamental Christian experience feeling a power and a presence at work in and through us that assures us we are not alone, that Jesus is Lord and we are not. In other words, we are not in charge. Our call is to follow where he leads. Now, there are a number of images that can help us, help us picture in our minds what this is like and to live in the experience. A friend of mine, she speaks of putting her hand in Jesus' hand and walking with him. Another speaks of um, allowing Jesus to drive the car of his life, giving Jesus the wheel, right? And still another, who's a horseback rider, She uses the image of dropping the reins, which is what riders sometimes do when they're lost, trusting that the horse knows the way home. There's actually a song written by a folk singer, Kate Campbell, entitled Jesus is the Way Home. And it goes like this. Uh, the, the, The first verse is, If you're ever if you're ever in the Richmond jail with no one around to go your bail, if you've lost your way, it might help to know Jesus is the way home. If you're trying to put that whiskey down and you realize you're losing ground, you don't have to walk that road alone. Jesus is the way home. You don't have to worry where you're at or why you're there. He knows all that. Just let the good book be your map, because Jesus is the way home. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the scripture readings that are before us today were chosen in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who was assassinated actually 51 years ago this week. As he was leaving the Lorraine Hotel, in Memphis, Tennessee. And King had gone to Memphis against the counsel of his closest advisers. He went because he was wanting to be in solidarity with African American sanitation workers who were on strike, seeking better pay and working conditions, more in parity with the white workers of the city. And knowing that he was under constant death threats at the time, his colleagues around him worried what would happen to King if he went to Memphis. And his reply to them, which he spoke about actually when he preached that previous Sunday, the last Sunday of his life at Washington National Cathedral, he hearkened back to Jesus's story of a man wounded on the roadside and three other men who passed by. Right? And he said the first two men Asked the question, if I stop to help the wounded man, what will happen to me? And the third man, who was a Samaritan, who was an enemy, asked the question, if I don't stop to help the wounded man, what will happen to him? If I don't go to Memphis, he said, what will happen? to the sanitation workers. And the first passage that was read to us so beautifully was taken from the book of Genesis, asking us to think of Dr. King in comparison, poignant comparison, to the young Joseph who was resented by his older brothers for his father's favor and for his dreams. Come, let us kill the dreamer, they said, and we will see. What becomes of his dreams. Now, if King's dream had been his alone, it may well have died with him. But his dream was, in fact, God's dream. God's dream that had taken residence up in him. The dream was of God's justice. And it is a dream that will never die. It can't die. It will be passed on from one generation to the next until it is fully realized. Now we, like King, can take up parts of God's dream, aligning ourselves with God's love that is most fully embodied in Jesus. And to do that, my friends, is the highest thing we can aspire to in this life, even if most of us live that love, live our part of God's dream, in relatively modest ways. It's an amazing thing to be swept up by God's dream, to be able to live something of God's love. But it doesn't make, necessarily, for an easy life. Jesus made that clear. But what a life it can be. Such a life moves us from... Life on the surface and all of its concerns to depth and real meaning. The brilliant author Toni Morrison gave a commencement address at Sarah Lawrence College a few years ago. And I loved it because she told the graduates quite directly that she was not all that interested in their happiness. And, and she said, I, it's not that I don't want you to be happy, I want you to be I want you to have it, you clearly deserve it, everyone does. I hope it continues for you or comes effortlessly, quickly and always, but I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be. And I'm not that interested in it. Not yours, not mine, not anybody's. I don't think we can afford it anymore. I don't think it delivers the goods. Most important, it gets in the way of everything worth doing. I want to talk about the activity you were warned against as being wasteful, impractical, and hopeless. I want to talk to you about dreaming. Having a dream can change the world, most especially when it's God's dream living in us. It's the dream that won't die, no matter what happens to you. It's the hope that will never let you go. It's the love that can move mountains. Now, in the last years of King's life, he, he called white Americans to task for our superficial commitments. The great majority of white Americans, he said, are uneasy with injustice, but unwilling to pay a significant price to eradicate it. But he also addressed the rising bitterness and anger and call for violent resistance among the next generation of African-American leaders for which he had great sympathy. I should have known, he wrote, that in an atmosphere where false promises are daily realities, where deferred dreams are nightly facts, where acts of unpunished violence toward Negroes are a way of life that nonviolence would eventually be questioned. But till the day he died, Till violence took his life, King rejected violence as a strategy and a way of life. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, he said. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He was, to the end, a follower of Jesus. The one from God who was sent to death, unswayed by his commitment to love, even his enemies. So let me close with this last word from King. He said, near the end now, he said, you know, I've decided to stick with love. For love is ultimately the only answer to humankind's problems. And I'm going to talk about it wherever I go. I know it isn't popular to talk about in some circles. Now, I'm not talking about emotional bosh, bosh, when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love, for I've seen too much hate. I've seen too much hate on the faces of sheriffs in the South. I've seen too much hate in the faces of Klansmen and white citizens' councils. I don't want to hate myself. Because every time I see it, I know that it does something to their faces. And I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. I've decided to love. If you're seeking the highest good, he said, I think you can find it through love. For God is love. God, God's love will have the last word. May it be our last word, our first word our second word, our last word, God's love living in us, God's dream embodied in us. I'd like to pray with you, if I might. Gracious God, I hold before you these, your beloved, gathered here, and pray your blessing upon each one of them. May they know, may we all know, that your desire is to empower us with your love, inspire us with your dreams and show us how to live and give us the strength and courage we need every day to follow Jesus in his way of love. Help us to remember that he is the source of our strength. He is the strength of our life. He is our way home. May each one of us hear, feel now, the power of his presence and his love. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.